the women of ill repute with your hosts, Wendy Mesley and Maureen Holloway. Wendy, you grew up the only child of a single mother. And I wonder, was your mother open with you about the wonders of being a woman? Oh, yeah. She was probably way too open. Like, uh, I was eight years old, and we were sitting on the edge of a dock looking out of a lake, and uh, I felt very, very grown up. And uh, so when Kate was eight, when our daughter was was eight, I told her all of the secrets about sex and being a woman. And she was like, oh, no, Mom, please, please, please don't tell me. (laughs) She ran away screaming. (laughs) What about you? (laughs) I I didn't get much. I was the eldest, but my mother wasn't forthcoming. I recall being given a pamphlet from Johnson and Johnson called "Now You Are a Woman," <laughs> and it had a picture of a, a, a brown haired girl with a ribbon in her hair and a Peter Pan collar, and she's kind of looking off into the light and thinking about a woman. And there was a lot of information about belts. Do you remember belts? Oh, unfortunately, I remember that. Oh, they were horrible. You used to. They were like harnesses. Attach them to pads. pads. Or, yeah. Oh. And, uh, and on that note, my mother also said, you don't use tampons until you were married. Well. Huh? Huh? I, I, I don't know where to go with that, actually. <laughs> it's just, you know what? I didn't wait. But given that the average woman can expect about 40 years of bleeding, it is remarkable how little we know about the whole process, even now. Yeah, but maybe you're an expert. Like, So I'm going to ask you, what? Where where does the blood come from? Well, it is God making a nest for a baby. I knew there would be an answer like that. What? Okay, here's another one. What about menstrual blood? Is is it the same as regular blood? No, 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 no. If you've seen any of the commercials, menstrual blood is blue. It's bright blue. Yeah. Well, mine mine's blue. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, so, <laughs> it's always blue. Okay, so maybe not. Here here's another one. Uh, what about cramps? Is there a reason? For cramps? Yes, cramps are designed to get you out of gym class. You say you have cramps, you're out of gym class. I think our point here is that we are two educated women with 40 years of bleeding, 80 years between the two of us, not to mention three babies, uh, two for me, one for you. And we don't know, we don't really know very much about the whole process. Well... Thank goodness we're not alone. We have uh, Dr. Jen Gunter. She has been called the internet's resident gynecologist. Uh, we call her a gyno guru, which sort of sounds like a dinosaur, but she's not. Oh, hardly. <laughs> she's a fierce advocate for women's health. She's written several books about the things that women's bodies do. She wrote the Vagina Bible, uh, the Menopause Manifesto, and now her latest book is simply called Blood, which is blue, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> the day we started this podcast, people have been asking us to get Dr. Jen Gunter on as a guest. She's been recommended more than anybody else. And so we are so happy that she can join us to talk about a subject that remains steeped in ignorance and taboo, but no more. No more. Yeah, I feel fresh and confident already. What about you? Hi, Jen. (laughs) Hi, Jen. Hi. (laughs) Hello. Yes, are we all feeling fresh and confident? Fresh and ready to do any sports activity. That's right. So wearing white pants. Yeah, we're so. running through and fields no of flowers. Yeah, because right? we all, yeah, we're modern women. No, but oh my God, those are the, yeah. I don't think they make them with belts anymore. I don't mean, I no, think no, no. They're all adhesives. I sort of started right when the belt era had ended. So I didn't have belts, but I was like on the cusp. 
You know what we'd like to do with so we'd like to keep you for days because there are so many questions. But we thought we'd start with some of the the myths that you that you sure. bust. And one of the ones that surprised me, even at my uh, decrepitude at this age, is that there's no such thing as a hymen or there is, but there's no physical proof of virginity. And we both of us found that shocking. Yeah, it's the biggest scam. It's like the original sin scam. So the hymen is named after the Greek god of marriage. So ah. that kind of puts it out there. But yeah, so there's no like freshness seal. There's no tissue that breaks. You know, when you're an infant, um, there is a, you know, kind of a, a, a hymen that's there. And while we don't actually know what the purpose truly is, my theory is it's most likely to keep things out of the infant vagina, which is very sensitive, right? And it would make sense. You get smushed with stool and all, you know, it makes sense to have a, have something there that's a protection. But as you grow, it kind of disappears. And as you get estrogen exposed, uh, you know, once you start, you know, menstruating, it just, you know, kind of flattens out. Some people have kind of more tissue, some people have less, but, you know, there's no way to tell if someone has been sexually active uh, based on looking at their vagina, you know, anything like that. And it's, uh, yeah. So why don't people tell us? Because I was so appalled that there wasn't like blood on the sheets after, you know, the first time I did it. Your first time. Most people don't. You know, that Princess Diana, before she married Charles, way back in the day, and you had to be a virgin, apparently she underwent a physical exam to determine that she was a virgin. And you're just saying that was a crock. Yeah, it's just like all made up. I mean, <gasps> yeah, it's, I, you know, I have no idea what they were checking for. Um, <laughs> but, you know, maybe she just said to them, I haven't had sex. And maybe she had some lovely gynecologist who was like, great, let me just tick that box. <laughs> so most women don't lead their first time of intercourse. So then if you think about all these cultures and religions that make this big deal about having blood on the sheets, what they're expecting is sexual trauma. Wow. Right. So, you know, if you're having sexual trauma, absolutely, you know, you might have tearing, you might have, you know, you're terrified. You think about these young 13-year-old girls, like, married off to some disgusting 60-year-old. And, and so they were terrified. And so, you know, it would feel tight because they were terrified and clenched and dry and protecting themselves, right? And so, you know, there's never, yeah, it's, it's a hymen. I always tell people the hymen's like baby teeth. You know, it was something you had years ago that you don't have now. And it's become this awful thing. And it just isn't a thing at all. And so, yeah, it scares girls from using tampons. It scares girls from having sex. I mean, it distills your whole value down to whether or not a penis has been in your vagina. It's, it's so awful and so patriarchal. I love that you called the uh, vagina. Can we say that word? Even though I think your your first book was was banned. Well, I remember, I mean, Mo and I both had breast cancer and saying the word breast 20 years ago was like the end of the world. And- On the air, certainly. Yeah. And then you wrote the book called The Vagina Bible, but I find it I find it fascinating that uh, like why why does blood have to be blue? Why why are we so afraid of of all of the things that you say are fine. Just let's let's phrase that and the fact that people think menstrual blood is different than regular yeah. blood. And it's not, is it? No, it's just blood. If you look at hormone levels in menstrual blood, it's the same as the blood coming out of your arm. It's literally just blood. It's what happens is the lining of the endometrium peels away. And just like if you peel off the top layer of skin, the blood vessels below bleed. And there that bleeding helps to push that endometrium out 
so, you know, uh, so it can get out. And then as the endometrium peels away, there's bleeding and then that has to repair. And so, you know, menstrual blood is a combination of the lining of the uterus and blood that's come out of the arteries in your uterus. And that's what it is. And it's become this whole thing, you know, you can't talk about menstruation because if you talk about menstruation, that means that that you're talking about the fact that girls can get pregnant. And obviously a girl shouldn't be thinking about her vagina until she's, you know, married to the man. And so it's all related to purity culture. Yeah. And the idea that, you know, I think the patriarchy knows that knowledge is power. If, if think about if no young girls were terrified about the hymen, well, that takes away a big weapon of control, doesn't it? You've busted a lot of myths. So, so let's look at another one. Another one is, I mean, we're talking about blood being red and vaginas being like normal and, uh, and that vaginas are self-cleaning ovens. So we don't need any of, like all of these products that make us feel fresh and confident. Douches. Yeah. They're, they're the supplements. You're anti-supplement. Well, uh, so douches are different. So douches are evil and harmful and they're damaging to your vagina. You don't need to do any cleaning inside. You don't need specialized, quote, quote, feminine products. You know, cleaning the vulva is no more challenging than cleaning the scrotum, you know? <laughs> um, so it's just a body part. Just use a gentle cleanser, unscented. Um, don't waste your money on anything so-called feminine. And then about supplements. Yeah, so supplements are untested, unregulated pharmaceuticals. And that's how people should think about them. And so when you call them what they really are, it makes them sound a lot different. And the literature for most of them is abysmal. Uh, and they're, they're a growing cause of liver failure. And we see all the time uh, ramifications of people end up taking things that have been adulterated, you know, with lead or with um, anabolic steroids or with estrogen that you don't, you literally don't know what you're taking. So there's a lot of concern there. And so while there definitely are some people who may need to take a vitamin, so for example, if, uh, if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, you probably need to take a B12 supplement because B12 basically comes from animal products. So if you're not eating animal products, you get your B12 from somewhere else. If you're someone who has difficulty getting iron in your diet, well, you might need to take some iron. But apart from supplementing a specific like nutritional deficiency, or, you know, if you live in Canada, you might need to take a vitamin D supplement, you know, because you're not going outside in, you know, for half the year. You're, I mean, it's like minus 35 right now in Calgary. No one's getting exposed to the sun today, you know? So apart from those, but, you know, we also have evidence to support those things. So, you know, I think that, that supplements are, they're completely unregulated and you don't know what you're taking and don't you deserve to know that accuracy? Don't you deserve to know good quality science? Certainly the people selling the supplements are making enough money. Here's, here's a, okay. I always thought that the moon had an effect on your cycle. The moon and the tides. I mean, it's, it's a romantic notion, isn't it? But apparently it doesn't. No, no, it doesn't. I mean, because obviously if it did, everybody would menstruate at the same time, just like the tides happen at the same time, right? Like, but, but that's, it's all part of the same myth. And I, to this day, Jen, to this day, I believe if we didn't, you know, mess about with our bodies and take different hormones and so on, that all women would bleed at the same time. And it had something to do with the pull of the moon and the tides. And to this day, I was this age when I found out. But don't we synchronize? I think that's a myth that you bust too, is that all of all women. And it's a patriarchal myth because it means then women are like animals. Yeah. Right. It means you're like an, a herd of animals. 
Yeah. So it's not, no, I mean, it would make also be really bad evolutionarily for everybody to get pregnant at the same time. Right. Like what if there was, what if there was a massive famine then six months later, okay, all those pregnancies, sorry, done. Yeah, we're done. Makes sense that things should be spaced out and random because, you know, there could be three months of absolute famine. There could be a massive flood. There, there's going to be times when food is scarce for children. And so, you know, having it all come randomly seems to, would seem to be a most efficient way to deal with the randomness of all the things that happen. You can't kind of rely on it. Because also too, if you think about it, if, if that were really the case, well, then we would be like animals. We would reproduce seasonally right? Like it would make sense that, oh, we, you know, spring would be lambing season. Spring would be, you know, baby season, right? <laughs> it is for different reasons because I think a lot of women like to have the summer off if they're, but yeah, uh, but, uh, yeah it's like lambing season. What about a, a jade egg shoved up the vagina? I mean, yeah, talk about kind myths. of famous for taking on Gwyneth Paltrow, <laughs> but it, it, there's a lot of people selling stuff for a lot of money. Yeah. Myths, you know, they speak to us in different ways for different reasons. I mean, some of it's because people don't have the knowledge. Some of it is because people have been dismissed by medical society, by medicine. And some of it's because people have really fallen into rabbit hole conspiracy theories that everything that's made from a pharmaceutical company or from a doctor is harmful. And I think that's a really important thing to emphasize. So wellness, this whole world of supplements, world of sort of anti-science really is driven by conspiracy theories. There's a ton of overlap. And in fact, Act, the more conspiracy theories you believe, the more likely you are to buy supplements. Wow. I mean, not to get bogged down with Gwyneth, you yourself did uh, confront that directly. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, and I don't want to talk about Gwyneth Paltrow per se. I think her intentions are good. And I think, you know, sure, there's conspiracy and there's a way of making money, but there are other people, just women who are just trying to make sense and haven't been given the information. And, and this is one of the reasons why your books and your and your articles and magazines that you write for are so welcome is because there's it's 2024 and nobody has really wanted to address this. Yeah, I mean, I think there's huge gaps. And I would push back and say, I don't believe she has any good intentions. I mean, okay. <laughs> she promoted an article on her site that bras cause breast cancer. Wow. Do you think somebody with good intentions would promote that or someone looking for attention? Oh, Gwyneth. Right? And the, I mean, that's how I found out about her in this whole goop thing was I got all these messages from women asking me if that was true. I mean, what kind of an awful person does that? What kind of an awful person? Well, I think we could all make a lot of money if we were into selling supplements or into telling people that that something that women wear every day, like a bra, uh, was a bad thing. I think there is a lot of money to be made. So, yeah, I think uh, skincare supplements, I think, Mo, you and I, you know, we should sign up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really the, if your point, if you want to make money, then lies are a great way to do it. And medical yeah. misinformation is a great way to do it because when you're not bound by the truth, you can say whatever you want. I mean, I could go to a supplement company and ask them to make me a brand of supplements and I could call it Dr. Jen's Vaginal Supplements and tell you that it would balance your pH and help your lactobacilli and use all kinds of fancy words. And as long as I didn't say it could treat a specific medical condition, I'm not breaking any laws. And you could be a gazillionaire. But ethics, right? So, 
Yeah, ethics. <laughs> but it's so different for women, right? Like, and, and you talk a lot about this in all of your books about how erectile dif- dysfunction is just like two people sitting in a bathtub holding hands and everything's great. And, and there's all of this science and all of these tests and all of these wonderful solutions for male problems. And yet women's problems, you know, it's got to be blue blood and it can't be talked about. And, and people still, like all of us, still believe that it's the moon or that the... Not all, not all of this. I don't anymore. <laughs> the hymen, you know, like where, where is the blood on the sheets? Like wh- why, why is it treated this way? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've yet to actually speak to someone like a personal friend or, you know, someone who's talked about it that told me that they had bleeding the first time they had sex. So yeah, same uh, come to yeah. think of it. And I, I mean, it's something like 10% and it's probably those 10% to have, you know, we're very scared. Maybe they have a condition called vaginismus, admired tearing, you know, so basically it's in line with what we would think that, you know, cause about five to 10% of the population can have pain with sex, right? So if you think about it from that standpoint, the people who are having that, you know, they've either had a sexual trauma or they have, you know, maybe really tight muscles and have vaginismus and cause tissue trauma trying to push it in, push the penis in. So, so yes, all these myths are very harmful and they, but unfortunately, you know, myths sell and they're crazy. They're fantastical and the human body is complex. And if you haven't learned a lot of things, then you know, these things sound great. I mean, who doesn't want a magic wand? <laughs> Preferably one that doesn't cause you to bleed. Okay. Um, so what is, a, I mean, I hate asking what normal is, but there are parameters of normalcy. What is a normal period? Yeah. So a typical period, like I think I agree with you. I say using the word normal is like, well, then if you're not in that, is there something wrong with you? So, you know, a typical period can last about anywhere up to consider, you know, up to seven days is pretty typical. You shouldn't be soaking your clothes. If you're soaking your clothes, if you're having to change your pad or tampon, you know, every hour, you know, for more than a couple of hours, if you're passing clots larger than the size of a quarter, those are things that we want to know about. A typical menstrual cycle, you know, is anywhere, you know, depending on the sort of the guidelines that you use anywhere between sort of like 21 and 31 days or 24 to 34, you know, there's, a, it just depends on how the studies were done. But I think the bigger thing is that there's a normal fluctuation cycle to cycle. So one cycle might be 24 days and one cycle might be 28 days and one cycle might be 29 days. So this idea that it's a clock that's perfect um, isn't true. So knowing that this is kind of within the boundary of normal. And so if you're having you know, periods that are spacing out more than that, if you're having them more often, if you're having bleeding between periods, if you're having periods that are heavier, those are things that we want to know about. Hmm. I I love that you address so many words. I mean, we're, we're now we're now able to say vagina. We're now able to say breast. Um, but you say vulva. And and that, like, that's a word that that I don't think is in common usage yet. So it's, it's just really interesting that you, I'm sure you're not the only one. There are a lot of women gynecologists who talk about problems that happen to women. I don't know, maybe, maybe it's obvious why, because of the patriarchy and blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it's the patriarchy. I mean, seriously, if you don't know about your body, then that really puts you at a disadvantage, doesn't it? You know, I think many women, uh, certainly of, you know, my generation and anybody before me and probably a few people since me, you know, it's this idea that men are the great sexual people and we're going to learn how to have sex from men, you know, which I would say would be like the worst person to learn how to have sex from would be probably an 18 year old man, a 
you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, at least it, it'd be over quickly. <laughs> yeah. Um, th- the first time. <laughs> so I think it's all related to that, that, you know, that again, talking about a woman's body means she's going to go out and, you know, I don't know, like ruin society, have ruined herself, you know, become this fallen woman. That's all related to that. The women of ill repute. More practically, and again, we could keep you for hours or, and we're just going to, you know, tell people to get the book because uh, it'll answer all your questions and then some. But tampons, cups, pads, wings, what are, in your opinion, the best modern menstrual products to use? The ones you like, the ones you like, the ones you can afford. They all have advantages and disadvantages. And, you know, it's everybody's different. Um, You know, you know how different people like different things, how they feel on their skin, different tastes of different things. You know, it's the same with the vagina. Some people are like, I hate the way that feels or I like the way that feels. I think the more options, the better. But not the crocheted tampons. Do you actually prefer? Don't use anything from Gyno Etsy. Yeah. No, I mean, and there's like real potential harm there because, you know, you, we don't know what that could do to the ecosystem. We don't know what could happen with toxic shock syndrome. So I think it's like really important that people understand that. Um, I'm sure the people out there selling homemade crochet tampons are not tools of the patriarchy trying to hurt you. Um, they just don't know. But yeah, you shouldn't be using those. It's really interesting that you take on naturopaths and homeopathy and like not just goop, not just Gwyneth Paltrow, but... Uh, like you're not afraid of of controversy. You're you're like no, you you actually do not. You're not a real doctor. <laughs> I don't think it's controversial to say that a naturopath has inferior training to a medical doctor or an osteopathic doctor. It's the truth. It's not. It shouldn't be controversial. When you have a whole field of medicine that teaches homeopathy is real, something that doesn't fit in with the laws of physics, that's problematic. And we're seeing this emergence of of more alternative medicine because of some issues with medicine, but also in Canada with systemic underfunding. I mean, you know, if you don't have enough trainees coming through, you don't have enough people. If you're going to be treating family doctors like garbage, well, of course they're going to be leaving. You know, why would somebody work that hard, take on medical debt, you know, and then and then be told that, you know, whatever they're told, these awful things by different depends on the province, I think, that you're in, right? How disrespected that you get. So yeah, I think it's I think it's a big problem. And I just, you know, I think that we need more access to good evidence-based medicine. We need when doctors have to see 30 or 40 patients in a half day because they're so overwhelmed. How can they have time to speak with anyone? Well, it's not just Etsy. It's right. You, you, you go into so many pharmacies these days and there's a whole section of, of homeopathy. You go to France and it's all homeopathy. Yeah. I mean, how do you think they, you know, they make money? How, why is the substance that's more dilute the same price as the substance that's less dilute with homeopathy? What's up with that? Um, so yeah, because it makes money. I mean, you know, pharmacies, they make money off of having these supplements and markup is crazy. It's ridiculous. You know, there's a, I, there's a little, you know, natural grocery store close to where I live and I don't go there very often because it's like really expensive, but sometimes you got to pop in and I always walk through their like, you know, their supplement aisle and it's just, you know, clover teeth berry or, you know what, like it's all this stuff. And it's like, Twenty nine ninety nine, thirty nine ninety nine, and like that's a lot of money. 
And these people are taking this every single month. You know, and there's plenty of, unfortunately, physicians also sort of, you know, dipping their toe into this as well and offering so-called, you know, functional medicine practice, which is it's not a recognized term. So I have another practical question. I have a lot. This is no longer, you know, asking, truly asking for a friend because I'm past the point where this is of concern to me, but I have nieces and daughters-in-law and so on. But I know several women who use hormone uh, birth control to skip their periods if they're, you know, going on a vacation or if they're in a new sexual relationship or what. What are your thoughts on that? Sure, it's great. Absolutely. There's no reason to have a period on the pill. There's, if, if you're taking the pill continuously and you don't get a period, it just means there's nothing there to come out. So it's not, so it's not like there's some like buildup that's happening. It just, there's nothing there. So, um, so yeah, why have a period? I mean, better living through chemistry. Wow. See, this is interesting. I've again, again, playing on the fact that we have no knowledge, but so little knowledge. I always thought that you were screwing around with your hormones if you did that. No, the very original pill studies did not have people having periods. So it had the hormones every day. And what happened was, and it's it, people need to read about it in the book because it's a lot more complex than, than the summary that I'm going to give. But basically, the, um, the women were worried that they were pregnant uh-huh. because they're just so... Now think about it. This is a time where you can't get abortion. This is a time where being you know pregnant and not married, massive deal. Many of them were actually hoping to get pregnant because they they were initially told that the pill might help with fertility. You're on it for a while and then stop it and it might help with fertility. So they were anxious. They were hoping that they were pregnant. So the whole withdrawal bleed came about out of taking away that fear of being pregnant, supposedly. You have uh, two sons. Um, They're what, in their 20s now? Uh, They're 20. Like you're addressing all kinds of controversies and uh, Roe versus Wade, you, you had a very strong opinion on, you've always had a very strong opinion on on a pro-choice and that abortion is for women who want to have an abortion. Um, but how do your sons feel about that? They're they're of an age now where one assumes that, you know, they, they know a few things. Have opinions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they're, they're very pro-choice, my kids. Um, they're very pro-vaccine. Years ago when I was, asking them, you know, about like, you know, if they were dating anybody. And I was like, well, just make sure like when you start dating, you need to ask if that person's had the HPV vaccine. And one of them said to me, as if I date someone who was (laughs) anti-vaxxer. It must be interesting though. They probably know a lot more than the average 20 year old. So one is less interested in the subject matter, but he's actually, he wants to be a writer. So he's more interested in the like writing aspect of it. And then my son, who's at the University of Ottawa, loves that he knows more than his girlfriends about the menstrual cycle and about reproduction. And, you know, I'm always getting texts like, my friend wants to know this or, you know, and his joke is he's uh, very openly gay and he calls himself a platinum gay because he's never touched a vagina. He was born by C-section. And so, um, and that as a platinum gay, he knows more than lots of women do about the menstrual cycle. Wow. Yeah. I think it's great. I think it's great. It is. Of course. Why should it just be a female preoccupation or, I mean, it it affects all of us no matter. Well, yeah. I mean, like we wouldn't have the big brains that we have if we didn't have a menstrual cycle. That, That whole thing is related to that. So if you think about it, we wouldn't have everything that we have if we were not menstruators, right? So, you know, so because we need this big placenta to give us all this oxygen to get this big brain. 
And to handle a big placenta, you need to have a really thick uterine lining that can handle it. Otherwise, it's going to grow through and cause all kinds of problems. So the the decidua, the, that's this is the tissue that actually comes out with a menstruation, is kind of the scaffold for the placenta, if you will. And so also the lining of the uterus is part of sensing abnormal embryos because, you know, we've all heard that like 70% of early pregnancies, you know, miscarry. And yeah, humans have a very high rate of genetic malformations. And so that's one way that we've helped been part of our evolution and it's given us big brains and the ability to walk and to move in other ways. But but you know, we also have an endometrium then that that can sense some of those abnormalities and make sure that those, you know, those clearly abnormal embryos don't go anywhere. Which I know it can be really hard, I think, for people who've had recurrent miscarriages to hear that. And I don't talk about this obviously in an evolutionary way, but but so if you think about we have everything we are because of you know menstruation has allowed us to evolve in a certain way. It's fascinating. My my daughter, uh, Maureen, has a number of uh, daughters-in-law. I have a daughter. Uh, they're in their 20s. Um, and, and it's fascinating because they're all like dying to read your book, whether it's about endometriosis or fibroids or anemia or bleeding or polyps or clotting or cancer. I wrote it all down. It's, it's unbelievable. And a lot of the stuff we just don't know. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm very grateful. I think Maureen was going to say that. It should be required. It should be handed out everywhere you know, in high schools and it should, I mean, but the thing is, it's not a textbook. This is what I love about it. It's really accessible. You're funny, you know, and and very much so. What I wanted to ask to add to, to Wendy's observation is like, you are the mother of twins. You are a, uh, you're a practicing uh, OB-GYN and you're a writer for all sorts of, and we're like, when do you find the time, the podcast? When do you find the time? The podcast, yeah, everything. Yeah. Well, I just about killed myself writing this book, I have to say, because this was like more in-depth, a lot more like basic physiology and things like that. And then not only making sure that I understood it correctly, but trying to distill these really complex things down into something that's understandable, but doesn't also lose the important points was challenging, a lot of brain power. So yeah, I mean, I, so it was hard. I mean, I work in the office now three and a half days a week. So I, you know, I have a day and a half a week, well, two and a half days because you write on the weekends too, to do writing. But yeah, it's, uh, it was, it was something. I love that in the the epilogue or the acknowledgments, I guess it's called at the end, you basically, and it's the first time I've seen it, and I thought it was great. And you said, well, I would like to acknowledge me. First of all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why not? Because it was a lot of work to write it. It really was. And, you know, I I was thinking there, I was trying to write the acknowledgments and I was just like, I didn't know how any other way to start it. And I thought, you just did a really big fucking thing. And we, you should pat yourself on the back for that. And I don't, I think as women, we don't pat ourselves on the back as much as we should. Man, I did a job well done. This was a big fucking thing. Damn it. And you know what? We, I think we also like, society wants us to not be like, hey, you should be respecting me. You know, we should be doing that more. Like, I'd love to see more women saying, yeah, the first person I want to thank is me. You know, I'm like the little red hen. I did it all. <laughs> hey, do you still have a line of uh, shoes at Fluvog that were, yeah. I know that they, they do. What are they called? The Dr. Jan or Dr. Gunter? They're called the Dr. Gunters. Yeah. And they come in three different colorways. That was honestly, that's probably one of the highlights of my professional career because, you know, I'm a shoe lover. I love Fluvogs. 
and um, they're so comfortable. And it was really great, you know, that, you know, a percentage of the sales went to support Moontime Sisters, which uh, they, they work to get menstrual products available to people up north because it's absolutely insane. And I mean, if anybody who has any governmental poll is listening to this, it is wrong that someone who menstruates, who lives in Yellowknife or who lives in Churchill, Manitoba should have to pay more for their menstrual products than somebody who lives in Winnipeg or Toronto or Vancouver. They should be the same price everywhere in the country. And the government should pay that, whatever the difference is, the transportation costs. It's just not fair. Well, and everyone benefits, right? There wouldn't be any babies. Every, <laughs> every single person benefits as a collective from the menstrual cycle. And so, I mean, I think we can also say, look, people shouldn't be paying more for toilet paper either. I'd be on board with that too. Or we should make bidets available for everybody, you know, whatever it is. But but I just think that the half of the population that menstruates is the half that's more likely to be financially disadvantaged, right? And so if we want to have true equity, then we should have menstrual products being the same price. They should set a price. You know, I don't know if they still set a price for milk where, you know, it can't cost more than something that used to be like that milk and bread used to have to be a certain price. And I don't know if that's the case anymore, but, and you know, and I think also then that would help, especially with all these like overpriced, useless organic products that don't offer anything special. If people couldn't make a profit off of that, that would actually change their availability. And let's call them menstrual products, shall we? I was just, I was in shoppers. I don't mind seeing this. In the aisle where the menstrual products are sold, it's called feminine paper. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, I mean, like seriously, change it. It's ridiculous. It's not, it's nothing to do with feminine. Like you can say toilet, like if you, like it's not feminine paper, they're menstrual products. Like there's cups, there's pads, there's tampons. First of all, they're not paper. And secondly, what's wrong with the word menstruation? You know, I mean, like, seriously, it's a bodily function. If it's even got the word men in it. We can all share this word. Although it is, it's menses is not, yeah, it's, it's not from men. People it's always not. ask that, but yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just think it's ridiculous. Like how sophomoric are we that we can't say the word menstrual products? So are you a Canadian? Are you still Canadian? I know you, you were born in Winnipeg oh, yeah. and you went to, you know, yeah, but now you live down there, so... I do. I live down here, but uh, but I am still Canadian. I'm still very much Canadian, and we are looking at moving back. Oh, so in the next, uh, you know, I've got a couple of years to go before I before I can retire from my work down here. But yeah, I think once once I retire, um, we're we're looking to to move back to Canada. Well, we're lucky to have you. We're proud of you. I speak for the nation, as always, or at least half of it, or at least. <laughs> half of it. And uh, the book is called Blood. It's pretty easy to figure out. There are all of your books. I think that, you know, collect them all. Uh, the Vagina Bible, The Menopause Myth. Uh, there's one on preemies because your boys were preemies. Yeah, the, the preemie primer, although it's probably, I'll be honest, it's probably out of date now because I was written in 2010. And, you know, we're, you know, but if you want to buy it, there's still good information in there. But, you know, it was up to date in 2010 and now we're 2023. So, But this is hot off the press. Hot off the press. Blood. By Dr. Jen Gunter, and we're just really glad that you joined us. Yeah, so glad, so happy. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, you want to hear the most embarrassing that ever happened to me? 
The top three <laughs> things, embarrassing things that ever happened to me, I think, were period related. Okay. So, yeah, uh, I want to hear. Okay. So, because we live lives of shame, or but, but there's no need to, but that's how it was and probably still is. So, I think I had just got my period. I think I was about 13. So, maybe it had it once or twice and I was in sailing camp. And on the last day of sailing camp, uh, everybody gets thrown in the water. It's so much fun. And we're all wearing white because our little sailing uniforms were white shorts and a white t-shirt. I think you're already knowing where this is going. And so I got thrown in the water and, you know, all the cute boys who want to be thrown in the water by the cute boys. And I ended up sitting afterwards soaking wet. And I was sitting on a hull of a boat, white, overturned on the ground. And I was sitting on the top of it. And of course, I started leaking, but I didn't know it. And I'm soaking wet. And there was just streams of pink raiding out from me. And all these other kids were sitting on, I can't even telling you this. All these many years later, and all these other kids were sitting on the boat and somebody turned around and went, ooh, what's that? How did you get back to the cabin or how did you change? You just stayed there forever? I ran into the, well, no, I <laughs> jumped in the <laughs> lake and swam to New York. No, I ran into the, uh, into the, the girl's room. I was just so ashamed, so ashamed. And the, uh, another girl, I think an older teenager came in and said, Hey, don't worry. You know, I'll get you, I'll get you some dry clothes. And, and, but I, I was mortified. I cried myself sick. I waited till everybody had left and then I went home. But it is still, the, I, I, and I think that's why I love talking to, to Jen Gunter is that she says, don't be ashamed. Like, oh, the, and, and that's what this whole podcast is about, I think. It would still be embarrassing. I know, but yeah, it's embarrassing. But it shouldn't be the most embarrassing thing that ever happened no, to you in it, your life. And yet it was. And, and, and I was 13. And I think that there are so many women who could tell that story because we're all, we're all leaky and that's just what happens. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's no big deal. And since then, I mean, I've had guests and so on who have stayed and I uh, overnight and doing the sheets and, or, you know, someone would go, oh, I'm so sorry. It's, and of course my response was get out of my house, you hussy. No, it wasn't. <laughs> well, there's other words. I looked them up, but it's uh, it's not that funny. But you Jezebel. I, I, I do find it fascinating, though, that uh, th there, there was just so much to ask her. Like, she's a big booster of the pill. She's a big booster of choice. She's a big booster of... Big pro-choice yeah, advocate, yeah. About dealing with controversy. I just, uh, I find that, I find that fascinating. We didn't spend that much time talking about the medical patriarchy and, uh, and, and the blue blood and the toxic and the leaky women, but, uh, yeah, it goes on forever. It goes on forever. And this book is a Bible for that. And, and as I've said, and I mean it sincerely, I'm going to pass this on to all, to any, any woman that's bleeding. Or bleeding women, I think you call or them. bleeding right? women. Every <laughs> bleeding woman should have a copy of this book because it will uh, reassure you and uh, educate you. And we need more of that. So there we go. Dr. Jen Gunter, a dream come true for women of ill repute. The guy no girl. Women of Ill Repute was written and produced by Maureen Holloway and Wendy Mesley with the help from the team at the Sound Off Media Company and producer Yet Belgraver. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.